that's what we're thinking about these five weeks. And, and that's our hope as a church, that, that we can have as, as followers of Christ a right Christmas. And last week we began our Christmas series, um, I'm Dreaming of a Right Christmas, and when we did that, I mentioned how we came to this series, that our staff um, got together and we talked about what things would be necessary um, in a Christmas celebration for all of us to have a right Christmas this year. And, and what we concluded, and I, I think I talked about it at length last week, was that we didn't say, how do you have a perfect Christmas? Because as we talked about each other's families and things we've experienced, we found out there is no such thing as a perfect Christmas. A perfect Christmas, at least when we have the image in our mind of what a perfect Christmas would be, that Norman Rockwell Christmas, that that it just is impossible. But that we could have a right Christmas. That we could have a great Christmas celebration this year that doesn't have to be distracted with other things. It doesn't have to be um, so hurried we don't enjoy it. That, there were, that we could have a really good Christmas. And we came up with, with five things, and those are the five things listed on the, on the board, the five topics that we believe would be the important essentials to have in order to have a right Christmas. Last week I talked about the first one, um, that it must be a Jesus celebration. And we looked at the fact that, uh, what, what that meant, the celebration of Christ at Christmas. And we talked about the fact that who Jesus really is, that He is the virgin-born Son of God. And how that truth, that He is a virgin-born Son of God, saying that He is God, how that truth would affect us, and how that truth would, would shape us. That because He's God, then we have to obviously pay attention to what He has to say. And because He's God, we not only have to pay attention to what He has to say, um, but that we have to obey what He has to say. And uh, we found out that, that we put that first, because that needs to be the core of our Christmas celebration. It needs to be a, a Jesus celebration. Well, today we're going to move on to the, to the next topic. And, and this is one that's interesting as, as the song, Pastor Mitch and Pastor Paul rewrote the words, I'm dreaming of a, of a white Christmas. And it's interesting, a lot of what you put in that song talked about this next, this next one. That when I'm dreaming of a right Christmas, that I'm dreaming of a Christmas that is filled with good family memories that is filled with family memories. And sometimes family memories, we just put family memories up there, that might not invoke such good feelings to you. But it's supposed to. And we want to talk about that today. So we want to talk about the fact that family memories, or family, is really important at Christmas time. In fact, I would say this, that, that, that God Himself is the one who prioritized family at Christmas. Family, at least we could say, at the, at the celebration of Jesus' birth. And let me explain. Grab your Bibles and turn with me to the same text we looked at last week, Matthew's Gospel, the first chapter. And we read a section. We read from verse 18 to 25 last week. And we're not going to read that whole section again. What we're going to do, rather, is we're simply going to look at the first verse that we read last week. Verse 18. Matthew chapter 1, verse 18. And it says this. Now the birth of Jesus Christ was as follows. When his mother Mary had been betrothed to Joseph before they when, when his mother Mary had been betrothed to Joseph before they came together she was found to be with child by the Holy Spirit. Now I'm just going to read that verse for right now. Just think about for a second what that verse says. Sometimes we read stuff and we just skip past it. But just think what that that, that verse says. That when God wanted to enter the world he did it through a family. 
Have you thought of that before? That when God wanted to enter the world, He did it through a family. That Jesus became part of an earthly family with Mary as His mother, and Joseph caring for Him in all the ways that an that a earthly father should do, um, even though he was not his biological father, because the story goes, the text goes on to tell us that he was, he was um, um, of the Holy Spirit. And then we know about, the, about history and through reading Scripture that eventually Jesus, as part of a family, would have brothers and would have sisters. That when God wanted to enter the world and celebrate this gift of the Christ, that God entered the world through a human family. And so we can just make this, this assumption or this, this conclusion that family is a vital part of our Christmas celebration. Now I have a question for you. To, to, I, I'm hoping to validate my point that this is just the way it is, and ask you this question. Who in here will spend time with family this Christmas season? Okay. Now let's even make it a little different. Who in here will either themselves or other people in your family will travel in order to get together to meet for Christmas? Most of us. People are traveling. Why? Why would we take time to travel why would we get together? Because why? Because family is a vital part of Christmas. As, as we, the Larson family, have been preparing for Christmas this year, one of our, probably our primary, we're keeping, we're keeping it a Jesus celebration, but we're a little distracted this year. Because one of our major focuses has been getting Josh home for Christmas. Right? That's been one of the main ones. Yep. Getting your, getting your boy home for Christmas time. In fact... Just a few weeks ago, it was something really neat happened in our family. And um, so Josh was able to let us know when, what dates he could come home for Christmas. And he really wants to come home. And uh, he contacted Suzanne and he said, because we told him we're going to fly him home. And he said, you've got to get a plane ticket immediately. They tell me they're all selling out right now because they're out of San Antonio and it's not a huge airport and everybody in the entire base has to leave. And he said, what I hear is it's everything's selling out quick. So day one, Suzanne goes, and Suzanne's one of these masterful internet people who can search anything and get good prices. And she calls me and she says, you have any idea how much a plane ticket from San Antonio to Wisconsin to Milwaukee is, even to Chicago is? I said, what? She was like, twelve or $1,300. I'm like, oh, what? Twelve or $1,300? So, so I said, keep looking. <laughs> you know, <laughs> he's important, <laughs> and if we got to do that, we'll do it. But but that's but that's a big deal. So she, you know, she keeps looking. But as we're talking about that, and this wasn't coerced in any way, Brett approached Suzanne, and he said this without with, with just said it honestly. He heard us talking about how much the cost was, and he said, "You know what? Um, I know it's a lot of money to bring Josh home. So how about if my present this year?" is that what you would have spent on me goes towards bringing Josh home. He said, I don't need a present at Christmas. He said, Josh will be my present at Christmas. Well, he... <laughs> Fortunately, we found a way cheaper ticket. And we would have got him a gift either way. But the fact is, it speaks something to us. How often does your kid say, don't give me a present? It says that something was more important than gifts. It says family was more important than gifts. You know, the great reality I saw in this is that Brett would rather have his brother home than get anything that money could buy at Christmas. That family is really important. And that God made it that way because he entered the world through a family. However, you know, there's always the howevers, the yets, the buts. Let's be honest. 
oftentimes when we get together to celebrate Christmas or any other holiday with our family, it can be more wrong than right. Right? We're dreaming of a right Christmas. It can be more wrong than right when we get together with family. There's an old saying for that reason. It says, you know, you can pick your friends, but you can't pick your relatives. Right? There's a reason why those, whoever they are that make those sayings up, there's always a reason why they're there. Because there's some truth to it. And, uh, you know, gathering with your family at a holiday can be more wrong than right. We do something weird. We're, we all live in our own houses, generally, and we have our own world, so now we've got to all come together. And it, and it brings some unique challenges. There's a reason why we all laughed when Pastor Mitch sang, May your in-laws not spend the night, in the video. Because you all went, Amen. You know, or not all of you, but a lot of you did. You see, family relationships can be complicated. And trying to navigate them can be really difficult. But I want you to understand something today. It's always been that way. It's always been that way. Let me show you something about family from Scripture. Because sometimes we have, we have ideas and expectations that are unrealistic and they set us up to fail. But let's look at the first family. I'm not talking about the family in the White House. I'm talking about the first family in the world. Grab your Bibles and look at Genesis chapter 2 with me. All the way to the beginning of your Bible. Genesis chapter 2. Going back to how God started this whole thing off. And I want us to read, I'm going to read first of all, the story, just the very first story of the first family. Starting in Genesis chapter 2, starting in verse 18. It says, Then the Lord God said, It's not good for man to be alone. I will make him a helper suitable for him. Out of the ground the Lord God formed every beast of the field and every bird of the sky and brought them to the man to see what he would call them. And whatever the man called the living creature, that was its name. And man gave names to all the cattle and to the birds of the sky and to every beast of the field. But for Adam there was not found a helper suitable for him. So the Lord God caused a deep sleep to fall upon the man. And he slept. And then he took one of of his ribs and closed up the flesh at that place. And the Lord God fashioned into a woman the rib which had been taken from the man and brought her to the man. And the man said... This is now bone of my bone and flesh of my flesh. She shall be called woman because she was taken out of man. For this reason a man shall leave his father and his mother and be joined to his wife and they shall become one flesh. And the man and his wife were both naked and were not ashamed. You know what that's a picture of? It's a picture of the perfect family. God created Eve, just think what it said, to be the perfect complement to Adam. God went around, looked with Adam, looked at all the creatures in the whole world and said there was no one adequate for Adam to be the complement to him. So God creates on purpose the perfect complement to Adam. And Adam, Adam it says in the text, cherished Eve. He looked at her and he said, you are now bone of my bone, flesh of my flesh. They lived completely harmoniously together and it says without shame. There was nothing negative between them. Now, I want us to look just a few verses further into the book of Genesis. Look at just the very next chapter, chapter 3. And I want us to see something a little different. Chapter 3, starting in verse 9. It says this, Then the Lord God called to the man and said to him, Where are you? And he said, I heard the sound of you in the garden. I was afraid because I was naked, so I hid myself. And he said, Who told you that you were naked? 
Have you eaten from the tree of which I commanded you not to eat? And the man said, The woman whom you gave to be with me, she gave me from the tree, and I ate. Look at this. Adam, who was extolling Eve's virtue just a few verses earlier, is now pointing his finger at her and blaming her for what they had done wrong together. He says this, it's the woman's fault. Look at no more claiming bone of my bone and flesh of my flesh, unity, togetherness, all this wonderful stuff. None of that. No, what do we see already in chapter 3? This whole Bible is that thick. You're two pages into it. And you already have division, separation, and fault finding in the family. And the question is, what changed? What could have possibly changed from chapter 2 to chapter 3? And it's really easy. It says they chose to sin. They made a clear choice to reject God's rules and to follow Satan's rules. And friends, here is why this is so important for us to know at Christmas time, when we're going to get together with family. That since that day, sin has influenced every family relationship. And even if you've got it all going on and you're all born again and you're all going to be singing Christmas carols, dancing around the Christmas tree, even those gathered around the tree with you, sin has influenced your family relationships. And Scripture goes out of its way to teach us that we've got families that are affected by sin. You know, just think about the sin and the dysfunction that Scripture records in the families in the Bible, starting with Adam and Eve. Just think about it. Here's what you could do this afternoon. Do what it took me five minutes to do. Just start in the beginning of Genesis and flip through to every new family and just read about them. It's scary. It really is. Adam and Eve, they're already messed up. God kicks them out of the garden. And so he says, you know, go ahead and have a family filled with earth. They're first two boys. One kills the other one. You talk about dysfunction. You think you're squabbling on a Christmas tree something? He killed them. I mean, that's dysfunction. Flip a few pages farther, and you find Noah. Go a little you know, further in church history, in, in, in human history. You find Noah. And we don't exactly know what this one text says. There are a bunch of things we can pick out. But, but it says at one time about Noah that his son, one of his sons does something so inappropriate. It talks about the fact that Noah, get this, is drunk in his tent. And that his son just says, looks on his nakedness. Scholars believe there's something more to all that because, because he's drunk in his tent naked. And so just seeing something can't be your fault. But something so inappropriate that Noah curses his son and his son's entire family line after that. That's dysfunction. We flip a few more pages. We come to Abraham. Abraham, the great founder of the Jewish nation that we celebrate as this great man of faith, before the son of the promise is born, he, gets, he listens to his wife to have a child to his wife's handmaiden. She has a child because his wife is barren. Sarah's barren. Has a child. And then he's ticked off. his wife is ticked off because now that child and that woman are kind of flaunting it in her face. Abraham says, do whatever you want. And Sarah, the great patriarch wife, with Adam in agreement, sends him off in the wilderness to die of thirst and starvation. God intervenes, they don't die. But that was fully their intent. Send him off into the wilderness to die. That is dysfunction. Go a little further. We come to Lot, Sodom and Gomorrah being judged by God. 
they flee. God tells them to flee the city. They are led out by by a, a being, a, a creature from Christ. Maybe maybe it's a pre-incarnate Christ. Maybe it's an angel. Leads them out of the city. His wife looks back, longing for what she had. Says she turns into a pillar of salt, whatever that means. And then his wife, they flee and they high up in the caves. And his daughters decide that they want to have kids like their father would produce. So they get dad drunk two nights in a row and they sleep with their own father in order to have children by their dad. Dysfunction. You think there's a, you think there's a reason that God points this stuff out? He didn't have to include that. But he did. Abraham at one time says to Sarah, his great beloved wife, you know what, we're going to this new place and this king in the area is kind of mean, his name is Abimelech. And so when we get there, if they happen to come to us, you just say you're my sister so they don't kill me. So here's his wife and they come. And the king comes in contact because his wife is so beautiful, it says. And the king takes her to be his wife. Takes her into his harem and he doesn't say a word. God intervenes and basically curses Abimelech in the kingdom and reveals to them what's going on and rescues so that nothing inappropriate happened between Abimelech and Sarah. But he just let it happen to save his own neck. Go a little further. Jacob. He stole his brother Isaac, who was the firstborn, stole his birthright and his blessing, saying, I want what you have. Greed and, and lust. How about Joseph? Go through the patriarchs. Joseph, the son of promise, who has visions from God when he's a child. His brothers hated him so much, they threw him in a pit, took his clothes, dipped it in blood, said that it was eaten, he was eaten by an animal to his father, and sold him into slavery in Egypt. Me and my brother got in a bunch of scraps when I was a kid. But my brother never threw me in a pit, told my parents I was dead, and sold me as a slave in Egypt. So there's some dysfunction worse than the Larson family growing up. You know, it goes on and on and on. Families filled with dysfunction. Why? Because of one simple reason. Sin's influence in the family. Now there's a reason that I want you to understand this today and just come to terms with it today. Because it's this Christmas season. Sin's influence will have an effect on your family. And will affect your family Christmas celebration And here's what I want you to understand. In order to have a right Christmas, you will need to be aware of it, and you will need to be proactive to not let that influence rob you of having a right Christmas celebration. You need to understand it, and you'll need to navigate the fact that you've got a bunch of people in your your family who are all brought together for this great event that you want to have fond memories of, and you're going to have to navigate it cautiously and, and, and wisely in order to have a great Christmas celebration. It doesn't happen on its own. That's basically what I want you to get. It won't happen on its own. See, as people who are affected by sin, it takes effort to live, to live um, God's ways and to not let sinful tendencies dictate what we do and how we interact. And my hope for all of us, starting with me, on this Christmas time, is that we would receive the gift of some healthy and happy family memories this year. Maybe before this time, if I said family memories, it was all bad. My hope is that this year, in your mind, there's at least one snapshot of of positive, happy family memories. If your photo album of your mind is filled with good ones, I hope you just get a bunch more. But if it's filled with bad ones, I hope you get at least one good one 
this year so that you say, you think back in 2013 and 14 and 15, you think back to Christmas of 2012, and this is what happens. You remember and you smile. You go, that was good. That's my hope for you this year. Because I know this, some of you, maybe a lot of you, don't have that right now if you open up the family book in your mind, the album book in your mind. You just see the dysfunction. So what I want to do today is I want to give you three things that can that you can do this Christmas season or, or apply, principles you can apply this Christmas season that can help you to have a more enjoyable time and hopefully result in great family memories. Three things. They're not real complicated. They're things that maybe you've heard before. But they're things that you, I want you to think about this way. I can only give you the idea. I need you to, to, to mull it over and process it and say, how would that apply in my family? Because that's the only way it makes a difference in you. So I want you to process, how does this apply to you? How could this affect, how could this turn what was in the past have been a bad experience into today a good experience, or what yesterday was a good experience into a great experience by applying these principles? So the first principle is this, on how to have a right Christmas with your family is this, start with a clean slate. Now, I say something like that, anybody under 21, do you know what a slate is? You ever hear, anybody? Okay, hooray, you're not under 21. (laughs) A slate is a chalkboard, basically. So what I'm saying is, you know what a chalkboard is? (laughs) Not a smart board. (laughs) Not a dry erase board, okay? (laughs) Your iPad... That you have the notebook on it, and you can, you know, you can touch the thing, you can circle it, and you can erase it. You know what I'm talking about? Start with a clean slate. Basically, you write on the slate on the chalkboard, and I want you to, I want you to go up there and right now in your heart and your mind, over the next days before Christmas, I want you to erase the garbage of the past. Say this to the person next to you. Yesterday is gone. Yesterday's gone. Yesterday is gone. You, you can't relive it. I mean, you can relive it, but it doesn't do you any good. Yesterday is gone. And here's my challenge to you this year. And this is hard. Don't keep a list of past failures and hurts as you enter into your family celebration together. You, for your part, make a decision to experience this Christmas on its own merits. Don't expect that any difficulties or problems that have happened before will automatically just happen again. Don't go into it saying, well, I know she's always this way and she's going to be that way again. My challenge is that you would give people a chance to grow and to change. And just maybe that mother-in-law who offended you last year because your green bean casserole was too runny, or she pointed out to everybody else that your kid's socks didn't match, just maybe she'll compliment you this year. Now, don't expect a compliment, but just maybe she will, you know, um... So she might not compliment you, but at least this, for your part. Don't go in with your guns loaded looking for a fight. That's what we do. We got hurt last time, and we say, they do that again this year, and I'm going to unload. My wife's heard me say that a lot of times. I've put up with as much as I can. This year, this happens again. I'm, I'm going to blow my stop. I'm going to blow my top this year. And she's going, please, Mark, please don't. <laughs> Wipe the chalkboard clean. Let us start over, you know. Because I'll tell you this, if you're looking for a fight, or you're looking for a reason to be offended, you will find it when you get together with your family. You know, you're, you have more history at your family than anybody else. You've got more opportunities of, for offense with your family than with anybody else. And if you go in there holding on to all those things, you will find reason to be unhappy. 
1 Corinthians 13 talks about love, and it says something in there that maybe you've never paid attention to or you've never noticed before. It says this about love, and it's incredibly important. In verse 5, it says, Love keeps no record of wrongs. It defines wrong. Amen. It keeps no record of wrongs. You know another way to say it? It wipes the slate clean. It says, yeah, I know you did a bunch of boneheaded things, but I'm going to wipe them away. Yesterday's gone. I can't relive it. No sense in reliving it. If it's good, you can celebrate. If it's bad, you've got to try to move past it. If you're going to overcome sin's influence this Christmas, then keep no record of wrongs of the past years and just wipe the slate clean. And you say, well, that's not so easy to do. It's not, but it's an act of your will. You're the one who has to choose to let past offenses go. You have to say, I'm going to wait. You, you're not responsible for them doing it. You're responsible for you. And you ask God, God help me. I'm going to wipe the slate clean. You know what you do when, that, when all of a sudden you're getting closer to time and that past memory pops up as a bad one? And you know what? Why well, you know why that pops up? To only two reasons. Number one, you just remembered it. Number two, the, the enemy of your soul, Satan, reminded you of it. Because he wants you to have a rotten Christmas. You know what you do? You say, you stop right now, God, I choose to wipe it clean. And you know what? Maybe you need to do this. right? Just do that. God, I'm wiping it off. Do something to say, I choose to wipe it clean. So number one, start with a clean slate. It's the first thing. Number two, this, this next one is just about being smart. Sometimes we're not. Number two, determine in advance to avoid painful or difficult issues. Determine in advance to avoid painful or difficult issues when you gather together. Just be smart when you're together. Christmas, my friends, is not the time to fix family problems. You're going to remember Christmas. You're going to all be together. It is not the time to try to fix family problems. It's not time to straighten out your brother or your sister who's been doing it wrong for all this time. That is not the right setting. You know what? Don't discuss Scott Walker's reform policies with your relatives if your, if your sister-in-law is a teacher. It's the wrong time to do it. Don't talk about what you think about the last election. If your guy won or lost, it's not the right time to do it. Be smart. Determine in advance to avoid painful and difficult situations. Christmas, my friends, is a time to celebrate the gift of the Savior and all the blessings that come from knowing Jesus. That is good news and it's positive and you need to work hard to keep your time together as good and positive. And then you'll have good memories of it. You know, let me give you an example of what you can do. Now, this generally happens, what I'm explaining, when I'm together with, with one step outside of just mom and dad. When we have a Christmas or whatever celebration and we bring in aunts and uncles. Invariably, invariably, this happens to me. Some uncle, some aunt, some cousin approaches me and without fail, they want the guy who's the pastor to talk about or give their opinion on some hot button topic. My mom's got one brother who just does it whenever he shows up. And when that happens, I know because, you know, um, when E.F. Hutton talks, people listen. You know, so what's he going to say? And I know people are listening, and I know it's got the potential to go, boom. You know, what do you think about Scott Walker, what he did? Well, that person's a teacher. I don't want to talk about it. And so what I have found to do is say something like this. It's very simple to navigate it. You say, you know what? It's Christmas time. I just want to enjoy being here. 
let's talk about that some other time and move on. And I go, oh. And you, if you have to, you say, I need some more punch. <laughs> and you go get some more punch. <laughs> you know, and you walk away. Or, you know what? I really need to use the restroom right now. Whatever it takes. It's called, it's just being smart in your relationships. And when I tell you, can I tell you something, family? When you're at your family, we're often really dumb. We do dumb things. I don't wipe the slate clean. So I come in, and you know what? I don't only not, you don't only av- not avoid the hard thing. You bring it up on purpose. Because you want to see the fireworks. You say, oh, not me. But you're ticked, and you want to talk about it. It's not the time. There's a time and a place for everything. I would challenge you to apply this. It's a, a principle that is just a, a, a leadership principle that's talked about by lots of different authors. You've probably heard it before. But apply with the water or gasoline principle in your family situations. Imagine this, and I, I try to imagine this, and it's interesting, our staff says this all the time to remind me that I've said it. <laughs> Remember, Pastor Mark, we have two buckets all the time. One filled with water and one filled with gasoline. And it's our choice in a situation when the embers start to burn, what are you going to do? Are you going to throw water on it and calm it down? Or are you going to throw gasoline on it and ignite the flame? Which one are you going to do? you get that choice when you get to there for Christmas. you got that choice every single day. You've got that choice in this church. When things get a little, a little flamey, you don't like something, you can find somebody else who, who would agree with you. You talk to enough people, eventually you'll find somebody that agrees. You put gas on it. Or you can just say this. You know what? I love this place. I love my family. I love whatever. And I'm going to put some water in it. And you just calm it down. You know what? You choose to, to, to de-escalate the event. You know, don't let those conversations grow. Just pour some water on them. Proverbs 15:18 says this. A hot head starts fights. A cool-tempered person tries to stop them. And Jesus said it like this. Blessed are the peacemakers. I can't find anywhere where it says blessed are the hotheads who start the fight. I've looked for it. <laughs> Blessed are the hotheads who take on everything and, and, and fight with everybody. It's not in the book. It doesn't exist. You've got to be smart. You've got to be smart. Jesus' own words, blessed are the peacemakers. Be a peacemaker. I've learned about being a peacemaker from my beautiful bride. She has taught me about being a peacemaker. I didn't start off as a peacemaker. I'm much more of a peacemaker now because she showed me how Jesus wants us to act. So this is why I say that. You can grow and change. You say, but I'm always that way. Well, big stinking deal. Change. (laughs) Grow up. Stop being immature. Stop being a baby. Grow up and be a man or be a woman. Be a peacemaker. That's what God says to do. So if that's been your history, blow everybody's mind this year and be different. And they're going to go, wow, what happened to Mark? (laughs) You know, somebody cast a demon out of him. What happened? I don't know. You put your name in that spot. There's a time and a place, and Christmas is not the time or the place. That's number two. Number three. And this, this one, I think, is hugely important. I had this huge list of things that I thought. Matter of fact, I don't remember ever a time in the past where I've worked with our staff so much at developing a particular sermon. Poor Pastor Paul couldn't get any work done. I'm in his office. What do you think about this? I'm feeling this. What do you think about this? Talking through stuff. Because I'm like... I'm trying to work this out. What have you experienced in your family? This is what I've experienced in mine. Trying to find out if I was a freak and experienced weird things, or what I did was across the board kind of common. I found out what I've experienced is across the board kind of common. 
And this next one is one of the things that causes the absolute most problems when you gather together for a holiday. It's maybe somewhat unique to holidays. It's surely unique to family people, married people getting together for holidays. And I'm going to tell you it this way. Number three, embrace God's leave and cleave principle. Embrace God's leave and cleave principle. For what I have seen, a great deal of problems that arise during family gatherings arise from the complication that occurs when you bring these different family units together that were generally separate, and you bring them all together, and you bring, in a, you bring married adult children together with their parents and their aunts and uncles and brothers and sisters. You bring them all together because now, for a person, now you're not just who you normally are every day. Now you're not only dad, but you're also an in-law. You're also a child. You're also a brother or a sister. You know, when, when I gather at Christmas, I am my parents' child. I am my wife's spouse. I am my children's father. I am my sister's brother and my brother's brother. I'm my cousin's cousin. I'm all those different things, and they all have different connections to them. And this can get complicated. You know, wives get angry with their husbands when their husband chooses to listen to their mother instead of them. Amen. You are exactly right. That didn't take any coercing at all. It's absolutely true. Husbands, wives get ticked. And they go, really? Going to listen to mommy on this one? And mommy tends to bring it up in public, and you got you're the husband, you gotta make a choice. <laughs> what am I gonna do? Oh boy. I'm 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 damned either way. What am I gonna do? You know? I'm in trouble either way. What am I gonna do? You know? Fathers, you know what, they get angry when grandparents try to parent their children. And they go, Well, when I would do this with little Johnny. And you go, Well, little Johnny ain't your kid, so why don't you keep it to yourself? But you don't, you smile. Yeah. Oh, thank you for your input. Not that I'm not saying, I'm not saying our family should be independent and not interact. I'm just saying God Himself initiated something that He Himself did called the leave and cleave principle. You know, God has an answer to our complication of getting together for the holidays. He says, for this reason, a man shall leave his father and his mother and be joined to his wife, and they shall be one flesh. The leave and cleave principle. And at Christmas or your holiday celebrations, there's two main applications that I think you need to just be smart about applying. And the first one is this. If you are married, your primary responsibility is to your spouse. And after that, to your children. That's your, five, your number one primary responsibility is to your spouse. You leave and cleave with them. That's number one. Then your children are second. Then the other people are third and fourth and fifth and sixth. And if mama tries to make you choose between her and that girl you brought with you, you've heard it, you choose that girl you brought with you. Because that's God's plan. You know, there'd be a lot less problems at Christmas time or whenever if daddy's little girl just told daddy to keep his opinions about her husband to himself. And said, you know what? I'm going to stand by my man, dad. I chose him. He's mine. And I don't want you to badmouth him again. You're the right person to say that. Not the, not the son. You're the right one to say it. Because that's your father. The leave and cleave principle. You know, when you are married, your primary responsibility is to your spouse. And here's just the deal. Knowing this just simplifies it. You don't have to agonize. You still got to be smart. You still got to be kind. You still got to be loving. I know I'm making jokes about this and picking the worst possible cases, but we, we laugh because we've all seen them. But here's the deal. Just be wise. 
God told you the priority. When a man chooses a wife, he leaves and he cleaves. The two shall become one flesh. Now they are their own unit, and they are the primary unit, and everybody else falls somewhere behind that, including the kids. Husband and wife first. So, that's the first application. The second application is this. If you are a little more mature, and you have married children, you need to realize that it's God's plan for your kids to grow and go. It's God's plan for them to leave you and cleave to someone else and start their own families. And you just need to be this. You need to be sure, be certain, that you are not causing strife by not really letting go. I'm not saying you stop loving. I'm not saying you stop even offering help when they need it. I'm just saying you understand that that new relationship is now the primary one. You may have given birth to that little boy, but God said there's a time when he needs to leave and cleave. And you need, to be, you, you, need to, you need to settle that in your heart. You have a job to do. You work to bless that marriage that your son or your daughter is in. You work to bless it, not to make the marriage more difficult by weaving in where you don't belong. You work to bless it. Just think about how many arguments wouldn't happen if we lived the leave and cleave principle in our families. Right? You don't have to, you don't have to conclude. You don't have to agonize over what side do I take. I take my spouse's side. Hopefully you don't have to take a side. Hopefully you're all wiping the slate clean and you're avoiding difficult conversations and that doesn't even come up. But if it does, you choose to do it God's way. Leave and cleave. That make sense? God made it simple for us. So let's wrap this thing up this morning. This year, I believe God wants you to make some wonderful family memories. He wants you to think back on 2012 in another year another two years, to remember 2012 and to smile. And to say, wasn't that a great time? And I really believe you can. We start with a clean slate. We determine to avoid difficult issues. And we embrace God's leave and cleave principle. And I really believe these things can make your Christmas celebration a right Christmas. Would you stand with me this morning? We're going to pray together. And I'm simply going to pray this prayer. God, help us to apply these in our own situations the way you want them done. And God, if something I said isn't right, let it go. So Heavenly Father, I thank you that we're a family. I thank you, God, that, that we are your children. And God, that as we look at our families, and then we look at the families of your word, we understand something, that sin's influence really changed everything. And I thank you that we can come to you and and the effects of sin can be minimized, that we can grow in Christ-likeness, and that changes everything. But God, I know that when we gather together for holiday seasons, it can be sometimes really difficult. And I would ask this this year. These things that I really believe are things that you just led me to share this morning. That God, if any of them are really important for anybody in this place, that you would help us to just settle them in our heart right now.